Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. This is really an opportunity to to have input, and we'd love to hear from you uh, regarding this particular uh, uh, patient type. But uh, if there are any questions, uh, please bring them to the microphone. I know it's a little tough. We'd love to see the large attendance we have here. But if you have any questions, please uh, feel free to ask them. And if you need to, if it's too onerous to get out to the microphone, just shout it out and we'll try to uh, reproduce it so that, that it can be answered. Uh, it, Natalie, talk about uh, this very interesting presentation. Thank you so much. Is it, is it necessary, if you have a, a patient that comes in and you, you have every indication that they're on a vitamin K antagonist, how important is it to, to get that, uh, that initial INR on these patients? And is this somebody that you have an intracranial bleed, you have a history of vitamin K antagonists? Is this somebody that absolutely has to have an INR? That's a good question. Um, we typically are able to get that lab back um, at UC very, very quickly. Um, so we do actually wait. Um, the PCCs um, or FFP, if that's not available, um, are, can be dosed based on the INR and the weight. Um, so it can be very helpful from that standpoint. Um, however, um, you know, if it's going to be a lab that takes a very long time to come back and um, you know, you're going to be waiting a while then um, discussion with family to best understand if this is a patient who is compliant with their medications. Um, and if so, maybe some, somebody that you might consider proceeding ahead with reversal um, without that information. Again, if it's going to take a while for that lab value to come back. We're very fortunate that it does come back quite quickly for us. So, Yeah, I think... Um... I'd just add to that, at our centre, we um, introduced a point-of-care INR machine to, to try and speed this process up. Um, I think even with that, you, you sometimes get challenges. They, they go missing, they stop working. Pe- people can't get them to give you a reading. So I think um, one approach that, that we've tried to take is, is to, to not wait too long for a lab result. So I think an INR result can take up to an hour sometimes at, uh, at many centres. And that's, that's a really long time, I think, in hyperacute ICH. And so I think if, if you are really quite confident that they're taking their, their warfarin as prescribed, they're very likely to be anticoagulated when, when you've got them in front of you there. So, so sometimes I think it's quite reasonable to give, give the lowest dose available for the PCC, given the lowest band of, of um, INR anticoagulation. And then when the INR does come back, you can often top them up if it, if it comes um, into one of the higher bands um, for, for the PCC that you're using. We also use a, a point of care um, in, in the emergency department, I think, but it's also important because then you get an immediate result. You can get you get it within 15 seconds. So you just need a blue blood drop that you draw when the patient comes in. And I think what we also do in our department, actually, when we um, when we give PCC, then we wait for 15 minutes and we repeat the INR to see whether we reach the the, the target. And then you can redose actually, which is quite uh, quite convenient. Um, if especially if you have high high INRs where you're un- unsure how much you should give the. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's the advantage thing, of going yeah. up to the point of care device because then you can retest quite quite fast. Yeah. Uh, just from the audience perspective, and we don't have a specific polling question this with a show of hands, how many of you all have point of care testing for INR available to you in, uh, 
in the emergency department or your acute stroke center environment. So it looks like Maybe half of a large group. So that, I think that's a definitely going forward with care if you have this partic particular patient population. Um, are there any questions? What about, this is a real yeah, issue for, uh, for the stroke neurologist taking care of a patient now in hospital. When do you restart anticoagulation on these patients? Because if you look at, you know, if, you're, if you are uh, ill enough for whatever precursor illness that you have to be on an anticoagulant, on a vitamin K antagonist, you take the patient off of it, they have their native illnesses that led to their anticoagulation. When would you restart it? I'd like to hear from the panel and anyone in the audience that, that uh, has an opinion on that. Go ahead. Natalie, it's your section. Why don't you start? Sure. So I think anybody who says one specific time point or one set answer is uh, <laughs> has not done this. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Um, I, I, it's going to be very dependent one patient to another. And I think one of the questions to ask, of course, is why did this patient have this ICH? Was there, um, you know, a secondary vascular cause that has since been repaired? Um, that patient you might um, want to be a little bit more aggressive in, especially if they have um, an important reason for anticoagulation. A lot of these patients, while they're with us in the ICU, have complications like pulmonary emboli, DVTs. So they have a new reason to get anticoagulated again. Um, but then there are going to be other patients who, um, you know, you discover on their MRI, they have amyloid angiopathy and you'd never want to, um, anticoagulate them again. So, um, it's, it's really a case by case basis, but there certainly are, um, some patients that can be repeat anticoagulated again. Um, I think the biggest piece I want to add, um, is that DVT prophylaxis, even though it's not full anticoagulation is very critical in these patients. What we typically do and what a lot of sites do is 24 hours after a stable head CT, we'll start at least that DVT prophylaxis, um, because these patients are high risk of, um, thrombotic complications. Excellent. Thank you. A question? Um, I'm interested to know your approach in the emergency department for patients who have warfarin from a mechanical valve. Do you ever adjust your repletion management? That's a good question. So we, um, we used to. I think we were all very, very scared of that um, several years ago, but um, now we, we don't. We, we reverse those patients. And um, yeah. So. Okay. Yes, please. Uh, hi, I'm at the Sri Stroke Physician from UK. Uh, Excellent talk, thank you. Uh, and I'd agree with the comment on most bleeds in the brain need to be reversed. So I wondered if you had any, or if the panel had any comments on what constitutes minor bleeds that don't need reversal repletion. Thank you. I think that, that's a, a very good and very tough question, I think. Um, so if, if you look at um, an individual patient's risk of hematoma expansion, there, there is up to a point a linear relationship with volume. So the smaller the volume, the lower the risk of expansion. Um, so uh, you have to balance that risk against uh, any, any potential risks of the reversal treatments um, and uh, for, you know, reversing and stopping the anticoagulation for a period of time. Um, but I suppose another way to view them is that, that those patients have got the most to lose, haven't they? So, um, 
you know, they have had a minor stroke, their prognosis is probably quite good. And um, if they expand significantly, then that's going to have major and you know, potentially disastrous consequences for their outcome. So I don't think I don't think I could sort of say, you know, less than five mils, less than one mil. I think, it, you, you know, you just have to weigh it up on a case by case basis. And I don't think there's a strong evidence base to guide us there. But it's a, it's a good point And it's a it's a tricky question in clinical practice for sure. Yes. Hello, thank you. Um, Anne Roach from Christchurch, New Zealand. I was just wanting to ask um, about the duration of uh, PCC effect and whether it's necessary to repeat the INR and consider further treatment at six hours or later, particularly if the prothrombin ratio has been high. Well, I can take this probably because, because we, we, we do this retesting. So usually uh, PCC act very fast, so within a few minutes. So you can, can actually uh, retest within after 50 minutes. That's what we are doing. So you see already an effect on the INR, and then you can do your redosing immediately. So should, we don't wait for six hours. We, 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 uh, we, uh, we, uh, re, uh, we treat patients with PCC un until they are in the, in the INR that we want to reach, which is below 1.3, to, to go up again. Yeah. Well, that, that's why we give vitamin K. So that's, that's the combination. But your point is well taken. Yeah, is yeah. It, that you should not uh, forget vitamin it. Vitamin K tends to work over you know, a 12 yeah. plus yeah. hours. That's and why you need to give it IV at least, no? in the emergency. Yeah. I think it's very important. Many people forget to give uh, vitamin K when they give PCC. That's something we see frequently that it gets, gets forgotten. And it requires a healthy liver to yeah. synthesize the yeah, clotting factor. So there's a lot of pieces, that, and I think that's your point, I believe, is there's a lot of pieces that go into uh, treating those patients. Anything else? You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, EMCREG International, and Total CME Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.